second. There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. Unfortunately, I forgot to hit record and did not record the first portion. We're all the way up to verse 10, and the teacher spaced out and did not hit record. So anyway, you get the notes, and you'll see the, ver the uh, notes 1 through 9 verses. Anyway, Paul is talking about division in the church. Those of you on Zoom, by the way, you're missing out. People bring snacks, and there's some great stuff. Everybody's chewing back there except me. Um, anyway, in, in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, he's talking about <clears throat> uh, that all of them in the church agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I'm going to tell you that there are natural divisions with people. We have to get over that. Like I said, societal, some people are less wealthy than others. Some people are more educated than others. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all supposed to get along. Um, he calls them brethren because we're all one family. He wants us perfectly joined together. We're identified by the same name, Jesus Christ. Um, let's see. In this book, he's going to talk about liber libertinism, which is using your Christian liberty to sin when you want kind of thing, which is wrong. He's going to talk about there's a division in the Corinthian church about food laws and what's edible and what's not. He's going to talk about divisions uh, regarding male and female roles, speaking in tongues. The resurrection has created a division in that church. We'll talk about that in chapter 15 um, and just some doctrinal stuff. So. Uh, he doesn't want there to be any division among them. I'm going to wait a few verses before I get to this, but I want to tell you that there are some things there should be division on, believe it or not. We'll get to that. Um, but he's saying, stop ripping apart each other. There's no church split, but it's getting close to that. There's becoming a division. And he's going to explain the divisions now in a second. And then I'll tell you what I mean about there should be some division. Um, let's see. So he's saying no divisions, be perfectly united in mind and thought. That ought to be easy because all the believers have something in common. What is it? Jesus Christ. What else? The scriptures. What else? Same Holy Spirit is in each believer, right? The difference is we all are at different levels in terms of how much he submits versus how much she submits to the Holy Spirit or how much I do. We're all on that road to sanctification. Verse 11. My brothers and sisters, there's the family, brethren. It's also in verse 10. Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you, arguments, schismata in Greek, schisms, parties. They're, we're taking sides in a church that ought to be united as a family. Okay? So he's going to get specific now. What I mean is this, verse 12, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Okay, what's going on here? Different strokes for different folks. That's all it is. No, it's more than that. Okay, look at it again. One of you says, I follow Paul. Okay, what do Paul, Apollos, and Cephas have in common? They're just 
men. We are not Pauline Christians, we're Christians. We're supposed to be following who? Christ Jesus, fully God, fully man. We should never follow an individual, a preacher, a guy on TV, a guy on the radio. Well, he wrote this book, I follow him now. No, follow Christ. Number one reason, because men, people will always disappoint you. We're sinful creatures. Why would people say, I follow Paul? Easy. He was an apostle, right? Well, so was Peter. Yes, but Paul was the one that planted that church and taught them doctrine. So they follow Paul. Even Paul's saying here, don't follow me, follow Christ. Okay, why would some people follow uh, Apollos? Okay, who's Apollos? You got to go to the book of Acts. Apollos was a brilliant, you ever meet people like this that have the gift of elegant oratory? He probably had a British accent. Those kind of people that can just speak and captivate an audience. Paul was not that way. So the intellectual types go, yeah, Paul, that, he was good. Apollos, man, when he speaks, it's incredible. I follow him. So there's starting to be little cliques where there's the Paul group over here and the Apollos group over here. And then there's the Peter group. There's no record of Peter ever coming to Corinth. Maybe he did. We don't know. Cephas is Peter there. Do you see it? Why would some people follow him? Well, we've read the gospel and he's the head apostle, really. Not Paul, not Apollos. We're in the Peter camp. Who walked on water? Our guy, Peter. Do you see what I mean? You get into all these little divisions and they're getting off on tangents. It's Satan's way to divide. A, would, he would love to divide your church and mine, believe me, over really dumb things. Let's face it. The Christian church numbers around 2 billion people on planet Earth today. But there are hundreds of denominations, aren't there? Are you saying that's all division? Yes, in a sense. There's the Presbyterians and the Assembly of God and the Baptists and the, all the different denominations, right? Do you know what they divided over, some of them? The dumbest stuff. Well, we, when we baptize, we dunk the person. Oh, well, we pour water on the person. That's it, new denomination. Well, we think elders should rule. Well, we think a congregation should be able to vote. Okay, new denomination, that. And so it goes more and more and more denominations. And Jesus is in heaven going, why can't they just unite and be one under my lordship? In any case, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. And then there's the last group that says, I follow Christ. Now, there may be a little bit of pride in the way they're saying that, that, well, yeah, I follow the real guy, Jesus. But let's face it, in another book, Paul says he follows Christ. So it's the right person to follow, not necessarily being degraded here in any way. But there's all kinds of division. Verse 13, is Christ divided? It's the church of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Was Paul crucified for you? Now he's getting to the heart of Christianity, the crucifixion. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? If you were, something's wrong, right? He's saying the heart of Christianity is all about Jesus Christ, a person. 
Um, and obviously Paul wasn't crucified for them. Paul died and his death meant nothing in terms of salvation, just that he died a martyr, which is great, but he can't save anybody. He's not sinless. He's not God. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And now that gets him thinking about baptism. And so he writes in verse 14 and 15, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. By the way, Gaius is an interesting character. Remember I told you he comes to Corinth. There's a synagogue, Jewish place of worship. And Crispus is the head guy in the synagogue who shockingly becomes a Christian. And they kick him out and Paul out, remember? Gaius lived next door in a house and said, you guys can worship here. His house became the first house, home church kind of thing in that area. Um, okay, where were we? I lost my train of thought. It's a short track, my mother used to say. Um, Crispus and Gaius, I didn't, he says, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except those two. So no one can say you were baptized in my name. Yes, verse 16, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Okay, baptism. What is it? It's part of the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember all that? The Trinity. How important is baptism? It's important. It's the first act of obedience for a believer. Well, I was baptized as a baby, as a Catholic, so I'm good. I don't believe in that. Sorry. There's nowhere in the New Testament where anybody gets baptized who doesn't believe, and that baby doesn't believe. You can dedicate your baby to Christ. You can pray over your baby. You can have your pastor anoint your baby if you want. People that believe, understand the gospel, and believe get baptized. Okay, so what is it? Old Testament, Jews, circumcision. Remember? Does that save you? No, it was a public, somewhat public for the family. Baptism, much more public. Who could get circumcised? Men only. Who can get baptized? Men and women. What is it? It's a sign and a seal. It's the first act of obedience for someone that comes to faith in Jesus. It is a way of saying to your friends and family, even unbelievers, come and watch me die. What do you mean die? Watch me, the old me, like you know me, here's how I look, go under the water and come up looking like a washed but drowned rat, let's face it, right? I'm dying, I'm going down in the water, I'm coming up washed to newness of life. It's a public uh, acknowledgement, I'm a changed person. That's what it is. Can you be saved if you weren't baptized? Yes. Who was in the New Testament? Anybody know? Thief on the cross. Never had a chance, right? Jesus, he said he believed. Do you remember? Come, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus tells him. He's the only person Jesus tells you're in. Remember? This day you'll be with me in paradise. Translation, you're saved. Wow. He must have thought, really? That's it? He expressed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Should you be baptized? Yes. Um, is it essential for salvation? I don't think so. But it's the first act of obedience. You should do it. If it's essential for salvation, why would Paul say, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except these few people? 
If it was that important, he'd be making sure everybody got dunked, right? By the way, there are denominations that dunk, pour, and even ones that sprinkle. That's how crazy the divisions are in Christianity. Um, let's see. Um, where were we? Okay, so he's thanking God that he didn't baptize that many so that there wouldn't be this. Oh, you're a Christian? Yeah. Who baptized you? Oh, my neighbor who's a Christian. Paul baptized me. You see the pride in that? Peter himself dunked me in the Jordan River on Passover. You know, it could get ridiculous, right? Billy Graham. Does that really matter? What, you know what he's saying here? No, right? Tom Jeffries baptized me. That's as good as Billy Graham or anybody baptizing, right? He'd probably hold you down an extra minute, right? Okay. Yeah, make sure we wash Joe really well. Um, the point is, um, they're bragging. It's a pride issue, these people. I'm of Apollos. We're a little smarter, our group, than you guys. Because Peter was a fisherman. Come on. Um, the point is, verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize. If it was that important, I don't think it would say that. I think we need to get baptized. Don't get me wrong. But Paul sees it as something he wasn't sent to do. What was more important to Paul? Preach the good news, the gospel. Tell people about Jesus in terms they can understand. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, you say, now what's that? The context is Paul has just come from when he hits Corinth. He's there in Corinth, 18 months. He just came from Athens, Greece, where he spent, wait for it, one or two days. That's it, out. Athens is a center for the brilliant thinkers, the philosophers, the really brilliant thinkers who use $9 words that have five syllables. Paul goes there and tries to witness to them. Most scholars think Paul leaves Athens very, very dejected because he didn't just preach the gospel. He tried to match them thought for thought. Um, he tied in their temple to an unknown God. Do you remember that? When he said, that's the God, we, he's trying to build a bridge to them. Paul doesn't make many converts in Athens. There's no book to the church in Athens, okay? Most scholars think he, this verse is talking about the fact that he made up his mind, he's going to talk about it soon uh, in this chapter, that he made up his mind to preach Christ crucified, period. Even though it was abhorrent to Jews and stupid to Greeks, we'll see in this chapter if we get there tonight or next week, he just preaches simply. Listen, I think it's a wonderful thing that the gospel has a humility to it. What do you mean? Everything about it. Jesus is born in Rome, in Jerusalem now. Bethlehem, a, just a small town. And then he's raised in Nazareth, which is such a hated place. In John 1, one of the disciples says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's a humble carpenter. He's beaten and whipped and 
crucified on a cross. There's a humility about it. If Christ, imagine if Christianity was such that you have to really be, your IQ has to be at least 135 or you can't even understand it. The beauty of Christianity is it's a body of water. Listen, it's a body of water so shallow that a child of four or five or six can wade in and get wet. You can explain the gospel to a four or five-year-old. I've done it. Our kids understood at that age. And yet, it's a body of water so deep that Jacques Cousteau with the best equipment can't find the bottom. You want to get deep into theology? Good luck. You'll, I mean, it's incredible. I'm a theology nerd. I admit it. You can't find the bottom. There's just more and more to discover. And yet, it's so simple a child can understand it. You don't have to be extremely eloquent. You don't need a degree. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. Hinduism has the caste system, C-A-S-T-E, where the wealthier ones, the healthier ones, are considered more blessed. And they have a rule about the deformed. She's only got one leg. He's only got one eye. He's only got one arm. He can't walk. The rule is, leave him alone. Don't help them. That's karma. That's coming back on them, their past life where they were bad. Don't interfere. Let them be punished. It's crazy. Christianity says, come unto me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's much more beautiful. Okay. Um, Galatians 1, 6 through 9 says there's one Savior, one Lord, one gospel. It's a lot of ones. We can't be divided. Okay. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Okay. I said earlier, it might have shocked you. I apologize. There are some things we should divide over. Oh, here he goes. He's going to make division. Listen, there's a famous quote in Christianity from Augustine, a church father. He says, listen, for Christians, in the essentials, unity. What are the essentials? We'll talk about it. The doctrines you have to believe, according to the Bible, to be a Christian. In those things, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. I'll give you an example. You have to speak in tongues to be saved. No, you don't. Which is it? Is that an essential? No. You have to dunk people baptizing. You can't pour or sprinkle. Not an essential. Don't divide over those things. Liberty, freedom, okay? You have to use the King James Version only. No, no, you can use New King James. You can use the New International Version. Is that an essential? No. Don't divide over the essentials. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. Let people, some people in this church clap their hands during the music. Some people go, oh, what a sinner. Is that an essential? Is that in the book of illusions? Let me look it up right now. There's all kinds of things that aren't essentials. Let's not divide over the stupid stuff. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity, meaning love. Okay. So you say, okay, well, what are the essentials, smarty pants? Here's an acronym. 
The word is storage, S-T-O-R-A-G-E, meaning keep these things in the storage vault of your mind. These are the most important things biblically. These are the things that are in the creeds, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, that are clearly the main things in Christianity. They are so important that if someone doesn't believe one of these, you'll see in a minute, they're not a Christian. Okay? For example, I'm a Christian. Oh, that's great. But I, I don't believe the Bible. What? I'm a Christian, but I don't think Jesus really died on the cross. I just don't buy that. I don't think he rose from the dead, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not, biblically. Okay, what are they? Quickly. Oh, we got plenty of time. I'll go slowly. No, I'm kidding. Scripture, number one. S is for storage. Scripture. What do you mean by that? The Bible, and the Bible alone, is God's complete word. Don't add to it the book of Jeff or the book of Don or the book of Chispa. Don't do it. Also, don't subtract from it. We believe the whole Bible except Philippians and Colossians. What? The Bible, Scripture, is God's word. The Mormons add three other books. Jehovah's Witnesses reinterpret it, retranslate it, and they have their own writings. S, storage. T, Trinity, the nature of God. Clearly put forth in the creeds, clearly put forth in the Bible. What do you mean by the nature of God? That there's one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. The nature of God. S, Scripture. T, Trinity. O, original sin. What do you mean there? Adam, I mean everybody. We're all stained with original sin. What does that mean? It means you can't save yourself. Without Jesus, good luck. You're never going to save yourself. You're never going to make yourself okay with God. You're never going to know God. You are stained with original sin. You need a Savior. By the way, people hate that one. R, S-T-O-R, resurrection. Jesus died on the cross, rose bodily. Jehovah's Witnesses say no, not bodily. Bodily, he ate fish, hello, handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus rose physically from the grave. Resurrection, S-T-O-R. Whose resurrection? Jesus's and yours. You will rise too from the grave. The grave's not the end. S-T-O-R-A. I have to look at my notes now. Atonement. What does that mean? It means that on the cross, Jesus Christ took the guilt, paid the price for your sin. What you were supposed to get was hell for your sin. That's what I deserve. It's what you deserve. Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take the, the punishment for you. He paid completely. Catholics say no, almost, but you might be such a bad sinner like Jeff here that you, he might have to go to purgatory for a year and burn to pay for sins. That's a doctrine from hell. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. A, atonement. He paid completely. Um, G, grace. What does that mean? We're saved in a way that we, we do not deserve it. We can't possibly earn it. 
It's a free gift. E, end times or eschatology. Fancy word. What does that mean? Jesus will return again to the earth. He will judge all sin. He will reward believers and will reign on the earth forever. Essential doctrine. He'll come again to judge the living and the dead. That's right out of Apostles' Creed. Uh, what's not in that one? The E. What's not in there is, when will the rapture be? Who cares? All that stuff, not in there. Is there a seven-year tribulation or not? Is there a millennium? I'm a millennial. Not in there. Not an essential. What's an essential? He'll come again. He said he would again and again and again. The apostles were looking for it. Paul was looking for it when he writes to Titus. Those things we can't compromise on. In the essentials, unity. If you're in a church that doesn't teach these things, you need to find another church. If you um, or call yourself a Christian and you don't believe the Bible's God's word or that you think you earned your salvation by being good or my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds or I've given a lot of money to the church, so I'm in. If you think you earned your salvation, grace isn't a part of your doctrine, you're not a Christian. It's not me deciding, I'm telling you what the Bible says. If you don't think Jesus paid for your sins on the cross, if you don't think he rose from the dead and we will too, if you don't think you needed a savior, original sin, if you don't believe in the nature of God, um, all these things, those are the essentials. I already gave you some examples of non-essentials. Shall we move on? Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. It wasn't as loud as the last one. Okay, let's keep rolling. You guys on Zoom, are you okay? You awake? Okay, great. Occasionally on Zoom, most people turn their camera off. Occasionally, and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine or nine or ten people have their screen on where you can I can see them right now. Occasionally, I'm making a good point in the Bible study, and I glance at the screen and I see this on one of the screens. Anyway, it keeps me humble. Verse, where were we? Um, Christ didn't send me to baptize, verse 17, but to preach the gospel. And we just went through it, didn't we? The essentials. Not with wisdom and eloquence. I don't want to win people over because I got fancy words. Because, by the way, there's some people that aren't educated at all that wouldn't understand the fancy words. Walter Martin used to say, if you're feeding cows, don't put the hay on the top shelf at the barn. Put it down low where everybody can get it. The, the gospel is simple enough to teach beautifully and simply. Lest the cross be empty of its power, emptied of its power. What he means by that is, that's the end of verse 17, that if you eloquent it up in such a way, you're sort of emptying it of its power. You're sort of con uh, convincing people by your eloquent speech instead of letting the gospel touch people's hearts. Okay. What about the cross? For the message, verse 18, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's the unsaved, unbelievers. It's foolishness. It's silly. But to us are being saved, who are being saved, it's the power of God. Now, that's the same cross, right? With two radically different views of what it is. There are people that you tell, we believe, Christians do, in a uh, guy named Jesus of Nazareth who lived the perfect life, sinless. He was God in human flesh. He died on a cross. 
even though he was innocent, he never, ever sinned. And he died to pay for our sins. And he rose from the dead on the third day and ascended to heaven. He taught the most incredible uh, wisdom and love, and he's our savior. The unsaved people, some of them look at that and say, okay, so we have an unemployed carpenter from 2,000 years ago that you've never seen. And he wasn't even smart enough to keep from getting killed for a crime he didn't commit. And he let them whip and beat him even though he was God. And it just, it's kind of silly. But it's beautiful. To Christians, what is it again? It's the power of God. You say, well, what, what power, what are you talking about? What power is there that? Jesus was meek and lowly and humble and let himself get beat up and let himself get crucified. Couldn't he have stopped that? In a second. He could have blown those people into the next century. And he did it because he loves you. That's, that's beautiful. That's motivational, isn't it? That kind of love will motivate me to serve somebody that did that for me. But to those that are perishing unsaved, um, it's just foolishness. That's what this whole paragraph is going to be about. We'll do it more next week, but let's keep reading anyway. I want you to notice um, the tense of the verbs in verse 18. Do you see it? Perishing, present tense. Being saved, present tense. Do you see that? All of the human race is in one category or the other, there are no exceptions. Well, no, this guy's on the fence, and no, he's not. He's either being saved in the process God's drawing him, illuminating his mind, making him feel guilty about his sin, making him recognize his need for a savior, or they're perishing. The weird thing is, I've been to hospitals and visited people who are dying, right? Perishing. And it's a certain picture in your mind. You never forget it, right? But some of the people that are perishing are billionaires. And they live in mansions. And they look healthy to me. But spiritually, they're dying. They're perishing. It's one or the other. Now, the beautiful thing is, you and I were perishing. And now we're being saved. Why? Because God drew us and called us. Do you see why we owe him everything? Um, okay, let's keep reading. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross. Okay, what do you mean by the message of the cross? What we just said, that he paid for our sins on that cross. But you and I, you can go to a jewelry store, right? And they have earrings with little crosses, photos you can buy of the cross, paintings. People wear a cross here. Not in that society, not yet. What do you mean? Would you wear around your neck, ladies, a little guillotine? Would you wear a little chair and people ask, what is that chair? Is it electric? Yeah, it's an electric chair. What is that little room that you're wearing? It's the gas chamber. The what? An instrument of death. That's what the cross is. Capital punishment reserved for the worst criminals. 
the message of the guillotine, the message of the electric chair, the message of the gas chamber. Are you starting to understand why it's foolishness in that culture? Like it was the lowest death possible. As we said in most of the Bible studies, this is not politically correct, but it's true. You've all seen Jesus on the cross in paintings and drawings and what have you, and he's shirtless, pantsless, and he's got a little loincloth on, right? Wrong. Naked. They crucified people naked to make the shame ultimate. They always put somebody up high where everybody on a road where everybody could see. Look at that. It was a way for the Romans to say, don't mess with us, or that could be you. The message of the cross, capital punishment. It's foolishness to unbelievers, and I understand it. Later in this book, he's going to say, these things are, the natural man cannot understand them. They're spiritually discerned. Meaning what? You have to be really smart. No, unless God quickens you and makes you alive spiritually, born again, you can't hear it. You can't understand it. You can't see it. You can't fathom it. It's just silly. And then all of a sudden, God gets a hold of it and you go, this is incredible. What a division. Foolishness to some, power of God. What do you mean by the power of God? We saw the power of God in Genesis 1, didn't we? Let there be light. <clears throat> it was light. Let there be planets in the... <clears throat> Can you imagine if you could watch that video? I'm going to check it out of the library when I get to heaven. I want to see the creation. All the animals, that's the power of God. Listen power of God in that cross, which is so stupid to everybody else, changes drunks, murderers, thieves, drug addicts, adulterers into saints. That's power. Anyway, shall we roll? How much time do we have? Two minutes. Hurry up, Joe. Okay. For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy, this is God talking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Okay, that he's quoting um, Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah 29, 14. And we'll look at this next time. Now, when you read here, he's going to compare the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. Okay. So when you read, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, he's being facetious. He's being ironic. They think they're wise. They're complete morons. And yes, that's the word in Greek used in Romans. I'll destroy the wisdom of the so-called wise. That's what he really means. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Who are the smartest people? Well, the guys with PhDs, scientists, lawyers, doctors. Do you know this statistic? Most really, really educated people are not Christians. Most really, really, really powerful, wealthy people are not Christians. Tends to be the rest of us. There are some. Copernicus was very, uh, very, very intelligent. Um, um, let's see. I have a whole list here somewhere. Um, I'll get to it next week. Well, anyway, the point is, oh, there it is. Isaac Newton, Boyle, Pascal, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, uh, very brilliant people that were Christians. But for the most part, doesn't tend to be the most brilliant, the richest, the most powerful. You know why? 
Who needs God? I'm smart. I'm wealthy. I'm powerful. I'm all three. I'm God confounds the wise by offering and presenting the gospel to the normal folks. It's beautiful. It's the only way to do it. What if you had to be worth $100 million to get saved or have an IQ of over 135? So unfair. Anybody can get saved. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, thank you for this time we could be in your word, God, and we're just knocked over by the, the beauty of the gospel. And so a bunch of sinners are watching, including the one speaking. And yet here we are, saved by grace, something we didn't deserve. And hence, we owe you everything. So we ask you to bless these truths to our hearts and minds. Bless the study of the whole book of 1 Corinthians, Father. I pray you just open it up and let your spirit teach and lead. Thank you for each uh, person here. We pray that we would remember what we've learned, God, and put it into practice this week. And we give thanks to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. And um, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's really important. Thanks for being here. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Talk soon.